Hi, and welcome to episode 109 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger, and my guest today is artist Philippa Batita. In early 2020, as COVID was sweeping the world, Philippa was facing her own personal crisis. She'd been working on her entry for the Archibald Prize when she was having trouble with her eyesight and was finding it difficult painting the fine details of her portrait. So she visited her optometrist and that quickly led to a hospital admission and a shocking diagnosis of an aggressive brain tumour. In the last year, she's had to make some incredibly difficult decisions which go to the heart of one's purpose in life and creativity. This episode is about those choices, but it's also about Philippa's life as an artist. She's been painting for well over 30 years and has been a regular finalist in many art prizes, including the Archibald with a stunning portrait of the late Judy Kassab, as well as the Black Swan and Portia Geach. And last year, she was noted as one of the artists who had been selected the most times in Australian prizes in 2020. Her entry into the Archibald this year is a fascinating portrait of her surgeon, Dr. Charlie Teo, who has provided not only medical care prolonging her life, but compassion and empathy along the way. You'll also be hearing from her friend, artist Louisa Cherkop, who joins us in this conversation. She's a previous podcast guest and has been a rock for Philippa throughout this time. And she's also entered the Archibald with a portrait of her friend. Philippa had been approached by seven artists to paint her portrait this year, and even though many portrait sitters have in the past agreed to have their portrait painted by more than one artist for the Archibald in any one year, Philippa has only said yes to Louisa. We recorded this episode in Philippa's studio in Sydney, and from time to time you may hear a bird in the background, which is Philippa's beautiful blue budgerigar called Sky. Images of all the works we talk about can be found on the website, talkingwithpainters.com. I started this conversation by asking Philippa what she remembers of art as a child. It started from very young, from probably the age of three. And I've never been interested in any, anything. I've always been an artist. And if someone said, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'd say artist. And were, was anyone in your family artistic? My grandfather was a poet and he was um, in Italy renowned for his poetry. So that was a sign of being artistic. Um, my father said that in Italy what he used to do um, is read out his poetry um, in the piazza and also read the newspaper for the general um, public there who couldn't read, read or write. He was creative in that way. He was a poet. That's interesting. So tell me, what about school? So you, you must have, art must have been a huge thing for you if, if you yeah. knew you wanted to be an artist from a young age. Yes, absolutely. So I decided to uh, do three-unit art at school and I also did industrial technology um, because it was the closest to art. So I learnt how to make things and sculpt and make my own stretches and all types of things, and that really helped. Yeah. And at the, at the time, I was the only girl in the class, and I would really? often be picked at. Um, <laughs> and I remember to, um, that one of the boys grabbed my camera because we had to photograph our work in progress. So he one day took my camera and kept on taking <laughs> photos of my backside. <laughs> you know, I decided 
one day to, you know, photograph my work in progress. I was building something and realised, huh, the camera's only got, what, one photo left? <laughs> in those days, um, you had to go and send it off and get it, you know, um, developed. And it came back with all these pictures of my backside. But, and I only had one photo of my work. But you know what? They, they were boys that were mucking around in the class. And because I was so dedicated and focused on my work at the time, I actually did better than all of them. And also got selected for the InTech exhibition and one of the top students who got the highest mark for industrial technology that year in the state. Throughout uni, I started working on um, investigating the cultural relics we maintain as symbols of cultural identity from the land or the countries we come from and the present country that we're living in. And what I discovered is that a new subculture emerges from uh, those two cultures that is not identified or institutionalised as such as something that is, you know, obviously Italian or Australian, but something else emerges, like it's like a new culture. If you go, for instance, to my parents' house, they, they have maintained and preserved a cultural identity that really is not identified as Italian or Australian or anything. It's something bizarre. And it's yeah, yeah. Well, it's the same in the Greek community You can't too. really yeah. identify yeah. it as anything. Yeah, it's a hybrid. It's a hybrid of parts. Maybe it's called, maybe it's called WOG. <laughs> well, it's really funny because recently for the first time I went to Philippa's childhood home and I went to pick her up to take her somewhere and... She goes, come pick me up from, you know, mum and dad's. Come and see my wog house where I grew up. <laughs> she goes, look at my house, you know. But when I walked inside, the funniest thing was I grew up with exactly the same dining table. <laughs> well, we've both got that in common. We come from uh, European immigrants yeah, and we, we're both right. artists that have uh, pretty much had an interest since childhood. Yeah. Well, after you finished uni, you did an MFA and your MA, you went on to create a whole collection of series of works, even as we're speaking about, you know, uh, Australians with Italian backgrounds. You also did the um, Lost Child series and also the thylacine. But I wanted to talk more about portraiture with you because Mm. portraiture is something that really has dominated in your work over the years. And in particular... I want to talk about one painting that I absolutely love of yours and that is your 2015 Archibald finalist painting of Judy Kassab and it is an absolutely beautiful painting and I read that it was it was created over 20 sittings is that right can you tell me a bit about that work yeah um I had a friend who uh was playing a Hungarian flute to Judy uh, Judy had not drawn or painted for about a year because of her condition at the time, but um, she just invited me over and said, come and meet Judy. I've always wanted to meet Ju- Judy uh, from a long time ago, and I think I mentioned it to her that uh, you know it would be marvellous to meet her. So she called me up one day. Oh, yeah. She was in a nursing home at the time? 
She was, yeah, right. she was. And she, I should point out she's she's a very well-known Australian painter for people from overseas who might not have heard of her. But mm. Yeah, Judy um, was a marvellous uh, person and a great role model for me. And when I heard that she was, um, you know, she was being seen by this friend of mine who was playing Hungarian flute, yeah. um, she said, you know, one day I'll ring you and you can come over and meet her and um, you can sketch her if you like. She'll, she'll enjoy that. Um, so one day I was off to a wedding and she rang me and she said, Philippa, would you like to come today? And I said, oh, I'm just off to a wedding. She said, you've got to come now because she's, you know, it's a great opportunity for, for, to meet her. And I, I think she smuggled me in. I don't know what happened. But I, I, I left this wedding to go and see Judy. I went, I rushed home, got a bit of um, some of my art supplies, like some paper and some drawing equipment, and rushed over there. And when I walked through that door, she just smiled at me when she saw that I was carrying all this, the, this art equipment. And it was just wonderful. And, and that portrait there actually reflects that time that I walked in, sat down, and the way she smiled and sat in front of me, that was exactly the way she looked. And I wanted to capture that in the portrait. Well, it's a beautiful pose. She's in an armchair and she's actually got a pillow behind her and um, she's crossed her hands in her lap in front of her. And it's just, and I really love the clothes as well and the, the whole palette is just really beautiful. It's exactly how I saw her the first time. That's how I wanted to capture her. Yeah. She most probably rejuvenated her, like in her bringing back the memory of when people used to sit for her because she was a fabulous portrait painter. And I just think before I met Philippa, I remember standing in front of that portrait at the Art Gallery of New South Wales and truly connecting with that sense of rejuvenation. You can see the glimmer in her eye. Well, Well, she started painting because I kept on seeing her. I was invited to come and see her more and more. So I was seeing her between once to twice a week and uh, I would bring some art supplies and I can't remember I've lost count I did a lot of portraits um, drawing drawn portraits some I've given to the family um, some are still here but over a course of uh, a year that I saw her there was always art coming into uh, the nursing home and all of a sudden she had not painted or drawn for a while, quite a long time, for about two years. Yeah. And all of a sudden wanted to paint again. And she started to do a series of... They, they became very abstract um, pieces, They're very different from what she used to do, but she was painting. And it was beautiful to see, it really was. Yeah. And did it, I think that was... Um it was that year that you actually met Tony Costa. Is that right? That's right. I met Tony at the Archibald Prize. His work was opposite mine, opposite that Judy Cassab yeah. one. And we got talking and realised we had quite a lot in common. <laughs> Tony also comes from a Sicilian-Italian background. We started joking around, talking to each other in our sort of uh, native Italian-Sicilian way. 
Because when, when Italians greet each other, they swear each, at each other. Oh, Italian Sicilians swear, swear at, it, at each other, and it's really quite funny. Customary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's obviously a, a warm exchange. It is I'm warm. Sure. It's a way of breaking, yeah. the, breaking the formality of a situation, you know. Yeah. And you also painted him for last year's Archibald Prize. Can you tell me a bit about how that came about? Well, over the years of knowing Tony since the Archibald, I kept on asking, Tony, um, you know, you'd be a really good subject because I've painted a lot of Italian-Australians. I've done a whole series of Italian-Australian portraits. You'd be a great subject for me. And he kept on saying... Oh, Philip, I'm, I'm, I'm flattered, but I'm just not famous enough. <laughs> anyway, I kept on asking him and Louisa was always there. Anyway, I met him just when we were getting our works back from the Archibald and the Sawman and the Wind. You know how they, you know, they return all the rejects. And my re- rejects were in the car and he stuck his head in the car and said, you know, Philippa, you know what? Don't be sad. There's nothing wrong with your work. <laughs> and I said, okay, Tony, that's really nice. <laughs> they, they haven't gotten anywhere. So uh, how about, are you up to a portrait for the next year's Archibald? And he said, you know, I'm not that famous, Philippa, you know. But all right, five days later, I'm driving down the road and I, you know, I'm just parking the car in front of my house and I'm just getting ready to get out of the car and the, the, the radio's still on and all of a sudden it said, and the winner is Tony Costa and my jaw just hit the ground and I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I sent him a message in, um, on my phone. I said, hey, Tony, you bastard, you are famous now. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about that because this, this is a bit of a turning point for you preparing that portrait which is actually hanging behind you at the moment yeah, and yeah. I think that's another magnificent work and it's a real it's a real shame it didn't get selected because it's really great and it really captures him I think so can you tell me a little bit about you know what was happening for you during that time those the, when you were preparing that work well uh, this is quite a special portrait because it marks the start of a new stage in my life I was working on that portrait and all of a sudden I couldn't understand why, why I couldn't see properly and I was trying to do um, some various detail on his shirt and I was struggling with seeing and I thought to myself, well, my glasses must be about two years old. It's time now to go and get them renewed. Maybe I need an eye test. Uh, because I can't seem to see properly anymore. I don't understand. I was struggling and it was frustrating me that I couldn't paint and I was losing um, concentration. I was finding it hard to concentrate and I would get up and do something else and then I realised I really need to focus on this painting or I won't finish it in time. So I organised an appointment with the optometrist and went for that eye test and she said, here, Philippa, have a look at these glasses. These are your new glasses. And I remember while I was doing the, t- the test, I couldn't really see anything properly. It was all blurred. And she said, can you read this? And I said, not really. 
and she gave me the largest print and I still couldn't see. Um, anyway, I felt like at the time I was being fobbed off because she had a, a whole lot of people waiting to be seen. She said, I'm really sorry, Philippa, but I've got to end this uh, appointment. There's other people waiting and here's your script and handed over the script and then and I went home and then the next day she rang me and she said, Philippa, I haven't been able to sleep all night. I've been thinking about you. I've never had anyone like you come in and do an eye test and not see anything and not be able to see through the new script. You need to go to the Sydney Eye Hospital. There's something wrong here. She did a test at the time. It was like a peripheral test and half of my eyesight was gone. From there, I went to the Sydney Eye Hospital and I didn't get out. They put me straight into the hospital, did further tests. They first thought I had a stroke. Then on the third day, they did an an MRI and they found this mass in my brain. I had no symptoms none whatsoever other than the loss of eyesight and I thought I was fine I was laughing I was actually joking and thought they're doing all these tests on me um it's you know I gotta get out of here I gotta I gotta go home and paint I've got work to do and they held me there for three days and then in the end I had been diagnosed with a high-grade glioblastoma brain tumor Um, grade four it's called a GBM four and it's the most aggressive brain tumor you you could get pretty much the top of it that must have been a real shock I was shocked I was horrified I had after my first surgery radiotherapy and chemotherapy and at seven months uh, I had another MRI I was doing well, I was still painting, doing all, all the things I normally do. But the, the MRI told another story. It told that I had another two masses in my brain and I had to get them out or go on another drug which was to control it um, called Avastin. And I was told with the Avastin drug I wouldn't get... Uh, much time in comparison to uh, taking the, the the mass out altogether. So um, I took a gamble and I, I went for that second surgery. That was huge. Yeah. So, and that second, you know, I, I, I the first surgery was a piece of cake mm-hmm. because um, where the tumour was was right um close to the, uh, the, the derma, I think you call it, or the, um, the outside of the brain. So you all basically you just cut it and get it out. But it seemed like the mass had moved towards the centre of the brain and was a bit more of a complicated operation where the, the, the surgeon had to go in further and it was more invasive. So with the second surgery, I... Um, took a bit more longer to recover. And mind you, it was all during COVID. That's right, that's right. So that first surgery sort of coincided with with the onset of COVID, didn't it, in Australia? Well, it's very interesting. It was kind of metaphorical where this mass was 
um, invading the world, this this alien was was overtaking the world, which was COVID nineteen. And while that was happening, an alien was growing in my brain, invading my brain at the same time. And it all happened. It was kind of symbolic, (laughs) a change in the world and a change of my life. I had um, asked Dr. Tio to paint his portrait. Well, before my first surgery, it was actually in the consultation. I said, Charlie, this um, would really mean a lot to me if you could be my subject for um, something like the Archibald Prize um, because it's so significant and uh, the connection with you and how you're saving my life means so much to me. So would you be my subject? He said, yeah, sure. But at the time I was – so I walked out and then the next day I had the surgery and I I told him that I was still painting Tony Um, and so at the time – during that seven months, I was still working on Tony uh, and other things as well. Um, and I was thinking all that time, how will I paint Charlie all that time? And seven months hit and then all of a sudden I had another two masses again. And just as I was going to write him a letter to remind him about the sitting, I was going to see him anyway. So I sent I saw him at the next consultation for the next surgery and I asked him then and as I was driving to the um, consultation, it just hit me. I thought, I wonder if he'll accept taking a camera into the surgery and and getting someone to take uh, images of the actual surgery, of him operating on me and... You know, the whole process, uh, the intimate process between surgeon and patient who happens to be the artist. And I don't know if it's ever been done before and I just thought of it as um, an act of avant-garde innovation. Well, it's a great idea. I mean, I suppose painting for the Archibald uh, in that way, you've got your technical issues about the, you know, sitting, which is really interesting, isn't it? Painting from life. And that's quite fascinating because, you know, if we have rules that restrict us from being innovative and coming up with things that are beyond the norm, such as getting the the surgeon to work on you while um, someone's snapping at, at them and you being the subject who's not even conscious of, of the situation at the time... It's, it's actually pushing the boundaries of the rules of the Archibald Prize. And in the end, I, I did do a sitting from life. I, I sketched him from life. Yeah. And all the times that I went to see him for the appointments, I was studying his face. So you could call that a legitimate sitting. I think I that's do, right. Yeah. Well, I do that. I was talking to Philippa about yeah. it. Um, I just got to do what makes a portrait work. Um, I had a sitting with Katie Noonan and, um, you know, there's only so much you can get done, some photos, some drawing, and then you've got to compose. I work a little bit differently, but I was saying to Philippa, I sometimes do what I've had artists who sit me for me for three days and travelled over. And then I do what's called, I, I do a reverse sitting where I 
get them to come back and I make adjustments and show them the portrait and see if I want to change anything and um and um and and that's also what I've done in Philippa's um portrait as well so yeah I no guess that's maybe. totally true and also I I think if you sort of if you've got a lot of contact with somebody like you have had with Dr mm. Teo you are you know often looking at their eyes or their mm. their face or whatever and you're sort of making judgments from life and that is from life in a way it was performance based I think for Philippa it was very profound and very brave to ask him to do that and then for Philippa to actually paint herself to actually see that image over the hundreds of hours that she's put into it is incredible yeah yeah. so how was it was it confronting seeing the photo no, no, no. I used to be the person um, at school who would cut the rat <laughs> in, in science. So I, I, I think I could have been a surgeon myself, that kind of thing. I had that mindset. So I had my second surgery in uh, October, 1st of October, and then I had another MRI in January 2021 and I was told uh, by my oncologist, it's back. And, uh, and I, I was told, look, you've got the option to take this drug called Avastin, which what it does is it stops the tumour from accessing blood to grow, a blood supply to grow. Or you can go and have another surgery. But we recommend you take the drug Avastin because if you go for surgery you'll have more complications and more deficits. Mm. So, so that would went, mean you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to paint? So, yeah, I went to see Dr Teo and he said, Philippa, it's near uh, the eyesight area again, so you will lose half of your eyesight this time in the third surgery. You'll lose memory, some kind of short-term memory, um, probably the use of uh, your arms and speech. When you were given that option of surgery or taking the Avastin and one was going to offer probably a longer life and the other is arguably better quality of life but shorter life, I noticed that you, you know, you're quite active on social media and you actually put that question out to your followers on Facebook what option would they take? And I was absolutely amazed. There were like 268 comments on that post. Did that help you during that period? Yeah, I think a lot of people who get cancer withdraw. And uh, what often happens is opportunities get missed and overlooked. And uh, I think by doing that, I was connecting with a whole lot of people, getting different ideas from people. I was learning more. Uh, It gave me – it actually enriched uh, my knowledge about GBM Falls. I'm on the social media GBM for Facebook groups where a lot of people share information and often it's about their dilemmas like I shared mine. I was lost. I didn't know what to do. And I was looking for answers and sometimes I think it does, it helps. When you get out there on social media and you talk and you, you reveal what's going on and you ask for answers, you get, it helps you come up with the right answer in the end by listening to 
or reading what about what people are saying. I read every comment. I got on the phone with Philippa that afternoon on the weekend that she was meant to make a decision and I felt really um, like as a friend of hers, like I wasn't sure whether I should step into this territory or not to give her my opinion. I said to her, you're facing one treatment's only going to give you a little bit more time than another. One yeah, was going like to have to months. compromise her coordination, her eyes. Like she might be gaining only another month to, to six weeks more life. She could have got an extra year or two, but that was at the most minimum. And with deficits. And with deficits. And I said to Philippa, you know, she, she was a little overwhelmed by everyone's response, but she was a little bit, had to make a decision about what she was going to do. And I, I felt bad because she said to me, Louisa, what would you do in my situation? In her situation's one thing, but then you've got family and friends and things that affect the decisions you make. And, you know, knowing that she could end up bedridden and never painting is going to impact her daughter, her husband, you know, all these adjustments that have to be made because Philip is like, I'm going to have to get upstairs and we're going to have to move the bedroom downstairs and, you know, how do I get around this problem? I said, well, I would be taking the Avastin because... You don't know how you're going to respond to this. Like you could go longer than what you think. I said for, for, for an extra month worth of life, you will finish your Archibald portrait. So those, those few days must have been really difficult. It, it was. The whole week was f- difficult. I, w- I didn't know what to do. I was confused. It took me days to figure out what I was going to do. And in the end, it was interesting because after that appointment... I remember seeing the, the um, secretary and I, I was about to get Charlie's phone number and then when I got into the car I realised I forgot and I was in the middle of, um, I, I drove home and I thought I'll, I'll just write him an email. But that weekend I just could not decide what to do so I got onto social media and put that post up and I still didn't know what to do. But on the Sunday night... I wrote Charlie an email and I said, I've decided that I want to finish your portrait. It's the most important thing for me at the moment and I, wouldn't, I won't be able to finish it if I have this surgery. And that's what determined me. So really it was painting that it made It was the you painting decide. that yeah. I wanted to do most and I don't care if my life is shorter. I really wanted to continue painting and... If I can't paint and I can't see properly and it stops me from painting, I don't think I want to be around. See, a GBM4 brain cancer has an average of uh, 12 months to 16 months in general. Um, If you're methylated, um, about 21 months. And I'm at, I'm methylated, but I'm at 15 months and now I've got another six months left to meet the average. It's um, a highly aggressive, evil kind of cancer. But there's hundreds of different variations of this kind of tumour. And I'm just hoping I've got the variation that will help me to live longer than the average. What I've 
really admire about you is that you face this head on and you research and you are so open and you're not closing yourself off mm. and I think it's a great example for other people and she's a mother of like a 14 is Palomi Paloma's 14, 14 yeah. year old so I don't so want to leave massive her call I mean as a woman mother and an artist and a you know wife and all those things like she's really facing something very I mean we all hear of challenging things but you know that's a very frontal very head-on thing that she's having to face can you tell me a bit about what benefits you've experienced as a result of painting that's gotten you through this time yeah well it's interesting because a lot of people were sending me uh, links to sites to do um, meditation and um what else do um, like you know all kind of remedies, natural remedies, but mostly meditation. And I thought to myself, well, I wake up in the morning, I go straight to my my work, and I meditate while I'm painting. Mm. Painting for me is my meditation, and it gets my mind off all the problems that come with having a GBM four, and I put on some music or listen to a podcast or listen to your podcast (laughs) and we actually Louise and I actually Mm. paint while we've got we're on the phone we talk about your episodes like (laughs) did you just listen to that episode she she puts me on loudspeaker and I put her on loudspeaker and we chat for hours while we're painting and Louise a lot makes me laugh like (laughs) It just gets my mind off all my problems. Well, you that's know? well, that's isn't that in the, and also in this age where we're just talking about mindfulness and living in the moment. Yeah. That is, I mean, I think a lot of painters feel this. You sort of feel like you're so connected with life when you're painting. Well, our friendship's so important. We met at the Paddington Art Prize, and um, we just connected from the first day. And we had so much in common, and. We've stayed friends ever since. Yeah, yeah. so our well, friendship's me. been important. Of mm. course. And tell me, you are painting Philippa for the Archibald this year. Yeah. How did you decide on the pose and that sort of thing? Well, COVID dictated that for me at the time because mm. I have an immune condition. I've been in complete confinement. And then I had my friend Philippa, whose immune system was compromised by chemotherapy and radio everything and all the drugs she's on and I knew she couldn't come into contact with me so I said to her look what are we going to do I said well I can start from a portrait a photo of you in the bed and then Philippa a couple of months ago came in for the reverse sitting you know it was the best way to go about it and so and how did you feel when you saw the portrait for the first time Philippa I cried Yeah, it was uh, very emotional seeing myself in the hospital uh, with all just uh, post-brain surgery. And, uh, yeah, it was very compelling, if that's the right word to describe. I just remembered something. Back back, uh, in 2020, just when COVID hit, the the surgeon that I was going to use, it wasn't... Charlie, it was no. someone in the public system, said to me, you can forget about painting. Because mm. what happened was I was in the hospital for about uh, a week and they were trying to get the, um, oh, 
the drug out of my system that they gave me um, because they thought I had a stroke. They didn't imagine I had a tumour, a brain tumour. So they gave me um, five or six days to get it out of my system. And in the meantime, you know, they were waiting for this uh, drug to get out of my system and, and for me to get ready for surgery. And this doctor, I won't say who it was, the person I was going to go with, said, you can forget about pain because I was complaining. I said, look, you've kept me here for five days and I have to get home. I've got to go and finish my Archibald painting um, and I've just wasted five days in the hospital. You have to let me go. I actually protested and demanded to be let go and to go home and paint. And, uh, and then he said, you can forget about painting. And you could have taken that and thought, okay, I'm not even going to try anymore. Actually, I um, protested. I said, yeah. over my dead body. <laughs> I, said, I said, over my dead body, you've got to let me out. I said, this is now day five or day six, I can't remember. And just before I got um, my operation, I was allowed on day release to yeah. come and paint, and to, to paint. And uh, I was actually allowed at least two or three days, I can't remember, to come home and paint before my surgery. One of the things that's really interesting about your process is that you keep a log of your daily painting, which is amazing. And so you'll have right down exactly what you achieved that day and yeah. how many hours it took. And so by the end, you know... I think you were saying 300 hours is probably what you would like to achieve for most paintings to really achieve what you're after. It depends on how big they are. If it's a big painting, about 300 hours. If it's a smaller painting, any, anything from 50 hours to 100 if it's small. But, yeah, it helps me calculate how long a painting's going to take and to prepare for a prize such as the Archibald Prize or other prizes. It help, or if I have a deadline, I have to meet that deadline and so this helps me calculate how much time I would spend on a painting. You've painted a lot of well-known people and as we're sitting here in your studio, I mean, we can see, you know, Tony, there's Tony, we've talked about Tony Costa, Dawn Fraser, Morris Yemmer, Emma Alberici, Prue Goward, Charles Blackman, uh, Judy Kassab, of course. Would you be happy to say, you know, which one you enjoyed the most? Mm. From a painting perspective even, if not just from a personal perspective. Which one I enjoyed the most? I think with... Uh Dawn Fraser, I was able to zone out into abstraction and I, I was meditating while I was painting all that water. So I really enjoyed that. It was like meditation for me. I really enjoyed zoning out and not focusing too much on what I was doing and abstraction. So, you know, uh, if I lost my eyesight, I think I'd become an abstract artist. I would be, I'd be still trying to paint, even if I lost the ability to use my arms or, you know, my hands, I'd probably paint with my feet. You know how every year you make a New Year's resolution and I was just sitting down and it was just the first week of 2020 
and I was already planning my life and I thought yeah you know by the time I'm 60 I would have done this and when I'm 70 I'm going to do this and I'll be you know doing this as an artist and bother and I'm going to live up till 80 and my parents they're in their 90s my father's 94 and my mother's 81 and I thought I'm going to live as long as they you know have have lived for sure you know, you don't think about these things of being knocked over by a car accident or, you know, or you don't think me. about these yeah. things. You think about living. So That's you have all. to make adjustments. Yeah, every how, day. How do, how do you make an adjustment to that? Well, it, I think of every day counts. Don't waste a day. Don't sleep in bed. Get out of bed and make it count because that's – and make it worthwhile, whether it be spending time with my daughter – uh, painting, producing, making things, um, make every day count. Don't waste the, you know, a day. So that's how I see it today. I wanted to thank you both for joining me today and being so open and real about something so difficult. Thanks, Maria. Thanks, Maria. What amazing women. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Philippa Batita and Louisa Cherkop. You can go to the website for links to people we talked about in the show. I'll also be getting a video of Philippa in her studio online in a few weeks, and you'll be able to see that on the YouTube channel, the website, and on social media. Also, the Archibald is turning 100 this year and I interviewed Brett Cuthbertson, the head packer of the Art Gallery of New South Wales recently, and you can see that on social media, on Instagram and Facebook. And I also interviewed eight entrants to the Archibald Wynn and Sulman prizes as they were handing in their paintings at the gallery, and I'll be getting that video online after the announcement of the finalists on 27 May. The Archie 100 exhibition exploring the history of the Archibald Prize will also be opening at the same time as the Archibald uh, this year and both those exhibitions open on the 5th of June. Thanks again to all of you who have rated and reviewed the podcast on Apple Podcasts, which is really helpful in getting the word out about the show. And thank you for listening and hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking with Painters. Charlie just treated me like um, he had known me for a long time. It was amazing. I just walked in. He just was very casual and he treated me like a friend. 